Avast there, mates, and listen up. Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8pm with a special family fun night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, find the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. Notice in your right side of your bulletin, I put some just very big pointed outline there of when John chapter 4 last week we looked at the first part of this chapter we're going to begin here this morning in verse 27 with continuing the idea of Jesus at the well and so I turned in to the office words from the well as I thought about it this morning early I changed it in my own mind to the word at the well Jesus at the well. Uh, Today is Father's Day, so fathers, dads, thank you. Uh, In my own life, isn't this a true statement? The older I get, the more I cherish those mothers and fathers and those grandparents and the words and the wisdom that they shared. Isn't that true? I was just sitting there, even as we were singing and thinking about my my father and uh, uh, my grandfathers and and, just... how much they uh, may mean to me now. And I, isn't it sad, though, sometimes when I was a teenage knucklehead and uh, I, can, I can remember my granddad trying to tell me something and me just, ah. And now I wish I could go back to that day and as a 50-year-old and hear the words of that grandfather and that father. But we can't. So, dads, thank you. Uh, keep fighting the good fight. Uh, so many times as, a, as, as parents, we, we wish we could go back, and it makes no sense that we have children in our 20s. We have no, there's no reason why any 20-year-old should have children. Grandparents ought to raise children, right? We cannot go back. We, we get that. We cannot go back and do it again, so I'm looking forward. And I know I did some good things as a dad because I was striving to live for Jesus then. Uh, but I, I cannot wait to be a granddad and invest my life in my grandchildren. So dads, keep being dads. Granddads, keep being granddads. And 
that's going to be a glorious reunion in heaven when we're with those that have meant uh, so much to us. As we think about that, though, turn to John 4. What if we took that same idea? The older I get, the more the words of my Father mean to me. The older I get, the, the simple word at the well means more to me. As I grow and mature in my faith, it's the simple truth that we see in Scripture that should have the greatest impact. And I think this morning in John chapter 4, it's, it's funny how John chapter 4 is such a, a familiar passage of Scripture, the woman at the well. I was visiting a church member just yesterday, and as I was leaving their house, I noticed this large print. I'm not going to tell you who it is. When you see it in their house, you'll go, Man, I know who it is. Uh, so I was leaving their house, and on the wall there's this large print uh, of uh, the woman in the well. And I said, gosh, that's, I'm preaching on the woman in the well. And, you know, they said, well, we got this years ago. And, but it's Jesus and the woman and the well and the big water and the disciples are over there. It is such a familiar passage of Scripture. But this morning I want us to really look at what is going on and the impact that Jesus has with these different groups and these different folks at the well. So as we get started this morning, let's bow our, our head and our hearts in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, just as real as you were that day on the well, you should be real in our lives today. We thank you for your presence through the body of Christ. We thank you for your presence through the word and the spirit and Lord, I pray that as I share your word, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to the truth of it, that we may believe it, that we would embrace it, and Lord God, more importantly, we would live that truth out. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn there to John chapter 4, verse 27. The first 26 verses is Jesus' encounter personally with the woman. And now we pick up here in verse 27. Jesus has been at the well with the woman. The disciples had been gone to get food. Now the disciples are returning. So John 4, 27. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or what you're talking with her? So they were marveling that they, he was talking to a woman, but they didn't ask why. But they were marveling because of who she was. So the woman left her water jar and he went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the sayings hold true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to them, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed, and I love this, the Savior of the world. After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans worshipped him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Consider this. Jesus was at the well. You remember from last week that what Jesus offered to that woman at the well was this idea of, of true grace and true satisfaction and true worship that he went out of his way to go to a place that no one thought he needed to go to. Why would you go to Samaria? Why would you even go through there? Because a good Jew would go up the east side of the Jordan and then go into Galilee because Jews did not go to Samaria. But Jesus, because of who he is, he had a plan, he had a mission, and he went up through Samaria. And then he encountered a woman. Not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. Not only a woman that was a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman that was a sinner. How dare Jesus be with sinners. Isn't that amazing? The disciples were saying, why are you even talking to this woman? But he was talking to this woman, and he was talking to the disciples, and he was talking to the Samaritans because he had a word that he needed to share with them. Notice the woman, verses 27 and 30. The whole idea is that Jesus is moving from John chapter 1 in the beginning all the way through the gospel. He is making himself known. I am fulfilling the new. It is no longer the law. It is by grace. Yes, I am the the Christ. Yes, I am the Messiah. He is a new wine. He is the, uh, the new wine at the wedding. He is the new temple. He is the idea of being born again. He is the living water. He is always pointing to people that who he truly is. Even today, we live in a day and age where there is a historical Jesus. I see his pictures all over the place. You can see a a picture of a historical Jesus that was really alive and well. And and we even, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, well, I believe in Jesus. But my question is, but do you believe in Jesus? There's a big difference. I believe in Jesus, but have you really, truly believed in who Jesus is? And that is all Christ is saying up to this point. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am come to fulfill that old law. I am the new way, the truth, and the life. I am Christ. And he shares this concept with these three audiences. The word that Jesus is giving is that to know Christ, it will affect the way you live your life for Christ. The woman, verse 27 and 30, to know Christ is to experience living water. What did he offer the woman? She was at the well looking for water. Jesus came to the well 
She offered water, and Jesus says, I will offer you water, but I'm going to offer you what? Living water. And if you turn back and look at verse 14, notice what Jesus told her, verses 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst again. Isn't that incredible? As we live our life, we kind of get focused on the external. I was teaching a Sunday school class earlier today, and, and I, I made this comment that I remember being young, and uh, one of my childhood friends, this is one of these trivia questions. You might win something one day, a trivia pursuit. Who was Pastor John's favorite buddy in high school? Frankie. My mama will still tell you. I get so tired of hearing Frankie, 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 Frankie. It's a family joke. So Frankie and I were hanging out and we're talking one day and I, I remember riding around in his Chevette. Anybody know what a Chevette is? Google that, not now though. And I remember telling Frankie, if I just made this much money, I'd be set. Now at the time, minimum wage was three something maybe. And so I remember thinking, if I could just make maybe $5 an hour, man, we would be set. You think about what, we, what could we do with all that money? And he's like, yeah, we just made, and the, the amount of money was so small. Boy, things changed, didn't they? Once I started making that, well, I had this, well, then I need that. Well, then I started getting that, then I need that, and I need this, and I need that. And you continually live this life of you think you need things, but you're never satisfied. And Jesus looked at the woman and said, but when you take of me, you'll be satisfied forever. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have things or need things or even want things. But the idea is this. Once you find living water, everything else is insignificant. Because all you need is found in the hope of the gospel. That is what Jesus is telling that woman. That is what Jesus is offering today. To know Jesus is to know true living water. Sometimes as a pastor, it's hard to be a pastor sometimes. Sometimes as a pastor, I engage someone. Of course, when you're the pastor, everybody has to act like they're in front of the pastor. You know, they, they put on their spiritual, you know, facade, their spiritual, you know, the actions. And it's hard to be a pastor because a lot of times I can't really say what I want to say. Because it's like, well, I want the pastor to know how much I love Jesus. And so, you know, and to me, I'm sitting there thinking, listen, there's no way in the world you went to the well of Jesus Christ. There's no way in the world you're going to tell me you've drank from the living water. Because if you drank from the living water, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And so sometimes I encourage, sometimes I rebuke, sometimes I just wonder. Because it's that simple. If you have partaken of living water... To know Jesus is to know living water. And it literally is an internal dynamic thing that takes place once we receive Christ and we have asked for forgiveness of sin and we've entered into a relationship with him. And what Christ does with the woman, notice there, uh, turn back to where we were in verse 27 and following. The disciples come up. They came up, they evidently, John knows what they're thinking, but they don't even ask it. So here's the woman, the disciples come up, she came out there with the water thing to get water. She didn't even, you know, get what she came to do. Isn't that fascinating what happened? So she comes to get water, she meets Jesus, she forgets about that water and leaves with living water. You get that? 
She, she came out there to get water at midday, but she left that. She left that behind because she had partaken of living water. Do you know why she did that? Because she understood who Christ was and she understood what happened when she partake of that living water. We looked at this last Sunday because the living water deals with those eternal issues. She left the well differently because her sin had been dealt with. Can you imagine how freeing that was? You know what living water does? You know what Jesus Christ does? Jesus Christ forgives us of our what? Sin. She said, Jesus, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, I know you don't have a husband. How many husbands do you have? We're sitting here today and we're like, well, you know, I'm going through. Yes, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've done. But Jesus does and all he wants to do is forgive you. Now that's grace right there. Grace is understanding when, when you come as a, as a Samaritan woman with five plus husbands living in sin, having to go to get water midday because you can't associate with anybody and you're all alone and you're sitting there and the world is crumbling down around you and you meet Jesus Christ and immediately he forgives you. That's grace. That's living water. Have you checked the news lately? <laughs> What kind of chaotic world do we live in? Oh, my goodness. I'm almost getting numb to it. You, you know, you're watching the news. Oh, another killing. <laughs> another bombing. Oh, well. Isn't that sad that we just become like it's just the typical thing? Another shooting, another killing, another this. But we need to never forget that the answer is found in Jesus Christ and it's living water. And that which wells in the internal deals with the internal, and it deals with our sin. But secondly, notice the actions of, of the woman, verses 27 and 30. It, it dealt with her past and her sin, but notice what happened. Immediately she changed. So when we know Christ, number one, when we know Christ, we experience living water. Her life immediately changed, and she was excited about that. Living water and understanding who Christ is and understanding what forgiveness of sin is and what it is to have a relationship with Christ, it is internal, it is dynamic, and also it is life-changing. You want to talk about freedom? This woman had freedom. She was different. She didn't care. Now think about it. She did not care what society thought about her. Earlier in the day, she cared about what society thought about her. She was an outcast and a social misfit, and she was coming to the well alone, and everybody knew her issues. But guess what happened when Christ forgave her of her sin and Christ loved her? She went straight back to the people that had isolated her, and she went right back to them with the good news of life change. See, that's what the gospel does. It changes your life. It is internal and dynamic, and it changes you. How do we know it changes her? Well, look at her actions. One, she confessed Christ as Lord. You ever notice when you go to a, a typical Baptist church, we preach the gospel, and we say, if you'd you like to confess Christ today, we encourage you to come. Now, do you have to walk an aisle to confess Christ? No. But sooner or later, you're going to have to confess Christ. To just sit there and believe something and never make a confession of faith of Christ, it just can't happen. 
Typically and historically as a Baptist church, we do that through baptism. So naturally, the only way I know who needs and wants to be baptized, I'll say, if you're here today and you know that you need to make a public profession of Christ, I'd love to encourage you to come and to, as we close our service and come share that decision with me. Sometimes we come forward. Sometimes you may come up to me later and say that. But we are confessing our faith in Christ when we identify with the church and we follow through by baptism. I've had people say, well, I just I don't know about anybody. Just getting up there in front of me. I just don't know. I get nervous. I don't know. I understand these things. I'm going to tell you, she went back to the city that had outcast her. Well, I just, I just don't think I need to join the church. I don't do crowds. I don't do that. Don't do crowds. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I had a lady tell me one time she's not coming to church anymore. She doesn't do crowds anymore. Anybody from Indiana, anybody know anything about Indiana high school basketball? Raise your hand if you know anything about Indiana high school basketball. All right. She doesn't come to church anymore. She doesn't like crowds. But would sit in 3,000 people, I said that correctly, 3,000 people on a Friday night in a Hoosier gym watching high school basketball. Surely to goodness, if I can do that, I can sit and worship our Savior in church. She confessed Christ, I think not just in her heart and her mind, but publicly she confessed Christ. I have met Jesus. He has forgiven me of my sins. I now have a Savior. Notice what began to happen. She lived differently. One of my little sayings is her want-tos changed. It's not good grammar, but it's, you understand it. Her want-tos changed. Her life changed. Her, she began to, her attitude was different. Her things were different. I just don't think it's, you, you can't realize that you're a sinner in need of salvation. So if I'm living a life of a sinner in need of salvation, I don't realize that. I'm just living life best I know can. I'm a sinner in need of salvation, but I don't know that. Then the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel, opens up my eyes to the Holy Spirit, and I realize that I am a sinner damned without a Savior, and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I realize that I'm a new person in Christ. There's no way that I can do that and have any desire to do that. Because you realize how different you are. You realize who Jesus is to you now. And third, notice what she did. She told others about what he had done for her. You know, some of you may say, well, there's no way in the world I could ever stand up and do a Bible study or stand up and preach or talk in crowds. I get that. But I guarantee you, you don't mind telling something to somebody that has happened in your life. We'll take pictures and, you know, for those on Instagram. We'll, we'll, we'll take a picture and tell everybody in the world what we're doing every minute of the day. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to come up with a, I do have an Instagram account, Pastor John Beck at Instagram. I'm going to start just saying, hey, eight ice cream, click, ice cream. Hey, I ate ice cream again. Sharon's gone. You can do it for lunch and supper, I found out. Hey, Walmart, hey, riding down the road, hey, selfie. We have selfie, selfie stick, hey. This is me, this is what I'm doing. Grandkids, kids, hey. But we don't want to talk about Jesus. 
I don't, I don't want to tell anybody what Christ is doing in my life. Really? We live in a world, we tell everybody everything. But when it comes to sharing Christ, our life is no different. People ought to be able to see our life. You know, when that woman went back to the city, they said, I don't know what... I don't know what happened at that well, but whatever happened at that well this afternoon, she didn't come back here the way she left. Because to the woman, when you know Jesus, you know you've experienced living water. She was cleansed. She was satisfied. She understood because she confessed who Christ was. She left there differently. And verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ, the woman. Verse 31, I think a lot of us probably fit into this category. Notice the disciple. To the woman, to know Jesus is to know living water. To the disciples, those that are believers, to know Jesus is to experience the will of God. Now, just take a few minutes and let's look at this. What's going on? Let me set the table. They had already decided that Jesus was the Christ in some form or fashion. It's kind of hard because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet. And in, in the New Testament, once the Holy Spirit had come upon the believers, it's obvious that they have the same experience we have as we have been saved and the Spirit that comes upon us. Jesus had not gone to the cross yet, but yet the disciples were willing to forsake things to follow Christ. So they were, they were placing, I guess you could say, in, in one sense, they were still under the old law, and so their, their, their salvation was based on their faith, but they hadn't received the Spirit yet. But they, they, the disciples left everything to follow Christ. And so these were, the, these were good people. They believed in Jesus. They were following Jesus. By their faith, Jesus had called them into himself. But yet they didn't get it. And they, they came up and said, wait a minute, we, we followed Christ and we, we know he is the Messiah, even though they were confused what that looked like, but they were willing to follow Christ, but yet they come up on a precious scene, a, a glorious scene of eternity with the Samaritan woman receiving salvation, Christ offering living water, and they walk up and they say, what in the world is going on here? It would almost be like walking in a church service where God has showed up and you go, what's going on here? I don't get it. Why are you talking to her? Why are you doing that? And see, so often we have to remember this. We have redemptive history in our perspective. We think we know what church should look like. We think we understand what salvation should look like. And we don't trust what God says it looked like. And we begin to question everything. And we look at life through our perspective, even though we're good people, even though we say we're following Christ, and we put God like in this box and we begin to question everything. And Jesus said, listen, to know me is to know my Father's will. And the key to life is not trying to figure out life in our perspective. To know life is to know life from God's will's perspective. Notice what Christ says. There's two things we need to realize when we understand this. that to, For the disciples to know Jesus is experience the will of the Father. One is, Jesus says, 
I came to do the will of him who sent me. Look at verse 34. He said, where did you have food to eat? What are you doing here? And he says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus is saying, what I came to do is what God has asked me to do. It's not about us. It's, Jesus is looking at disciples. It's not about us. It's not about where we are in Samaria. It's not about this. It's about him. We have a great picture of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is God, but yet he is man. It is God in the flesh. And so even at the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. You see that, that tension of God and man. And Jesus reminds the disciples or teaches the disciples, life is not about anything but me doing the Father's will. Listen to John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, we'll get to this in several, several weeks. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Even in this point, it's one of the seven I am statements. He's at the, the, the feast and the bread is significant at the feast. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so here again, if you come to me, you're satisfied. You come to me, your needs are truly met. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that not a wonderful picture of a caring father? Could you imagine the mockery of being able to say, Father, can I come? Nope. Jesus, can I, can I come? Yeah, but I'm going to probably get tired of you, and you're going to get rid of you. Jesus said, no, I came to do the will of the Father. I keep saying this. Too many times our God is way too small. God is a big God. And he is a loving God. And he is an eternal Father. And he's had a plan forever. And he sent his son to accomplish that plan. And Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the, the water, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me will never cast out. Could you imagine what would have happened if that lady would have said, hey, do you want some water? And Jesus says, go away, I'm not talking to you. She came to the Son by the Father. And the Son received the woman because the Son knew that the Father had sent the woman. You remember when you came to Christ? Check this out. You were sent by the Father and received by the Son. How special does that make your salvation? No different than the woman at the well. No, sin is sin, okay? There's categories of sin, and sin comes with cause. There's sin is sin. But the Father sent you to the Son, and the Son accepted you. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him 
who sent me. Verse 39, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to do the will of, of, I came to do God's will at the well. He said, I didn't come for physical food. I came to do the Father's will. Notice what the Father's will is. And this is the will of him who sent me. John 6, 39, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As we come to the Son and we look at the Son and we believe on the Son, the Son will raise us up on the last day. That is what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give life, and he came to give life more abundantly. When the disciples said, what are you doing? And Jesus said in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus Christ came to accomplish that work that the Father sends, the Son receives. And for those who look on the Son and believe, John 1, 12, whoever receives the Son will become children of God. And he says, I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, just think about it. We'll be in heaven one day with a woman at the well. Isn't that pretty neat? There's a lot of little things I think about. It's an advantage to be a 50-year-old hyper kid, 51-year-old hyper kid. I'm getting old. I can't remember how old I am. I just had these crazy thoughts. You know, gosh, this would be kind of neat, hanging out with a woman at the well. That's going to be neat. I can't wait to sit and talk about John. I can't, not that I think John could have done things a little differently because all of word is inspired. But, you know, I can't wait to hang out with Paul. What did, what's going on here? We're all going to be raised up on the last day because that's the will of the Father. Jesus was fulfilling God's redemptive purpose. Here's God's will, redemption. Everything about God's will is about redemption. The will of the Father, redemption. That woman at the well, redemption. All of Christian life is about redemption. Fast forward to John 19. Jesus is on the cross. The thief beside him ridiculed him. The thief on the other side didn't ridicule him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Redemption. The clouds get dark. The, the, there's a, a darkness falls over the, the world. Jesus is dying and taking his last breath. And that time the, the temple veil is torn from the top to the bottom. And what did Jesus cry out? It is what? Finished. Redemptive history. I came to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father was to seek and to save and to give life. The will of the Father was for me to die on a cross and pay the sin debt of humanity. The, the will of the Father was for me to do what those cannot do. And he suffered and he died and he bled on an old rugged cross for our sin. And he said, it is finished. He said, I didn't come. For food or drink? Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm sitting at the well. Disciples focus. It's not about us. It's about redemption. 
I didn't come to make sure I wasn't hungry. I didn't come to make sure we had something to drink. I came to do the will of the Father. To the disciples, to know Jesus and experience the will of the Father. So that was Jesus doing the Father's will. Now let's think about the disciples doing his will. Psalm 40 is quoted by the New Testament in Hebrews 10. So listen to the words of Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after lie you have multiplied O Lord my God your wondrous deeds your thoughts toward us none can compare to you I will proclaim and tell of them yet they are more than can can be told. So here we have Psalm 40, David talking about the, the things in life that he is going through and the hope that he has in his father. And verses 6 and 8 are also quoted in Hebrews 10 in the New Testament. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. And in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. David said, my delight is to do your will, O Lord. Quoting from the messianic king coming, Jesus Christ in Hebrews 10. I delight to do your will, O Lord, because your law is written within my heart. King David understood this. Coming forth from our heart should be to do the will of our Father. And Jesus is looking at the disciples and he says, I came to do the will of the Father. And I became a man and I lived a sinless life and I endured this life and I endured the cross and I I gave of my life because the Father sent me to do this for you. And he says, your desire should also be to do the will of the Father. As believers, Jesus is saying, my food is to to do the will of him who sent me. Do you not say that in four months then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus is saying, you too have a will to do. Now think about the Christian life for just a moment. Jesus encountered with this woman and she leaves and she is radically changed and lives for the glory and honor of the Lord. Best we can tell in history. The disciples have already decided to follow Christ. They believe there's something special about Christ, but they are so wrapped up in the, in the things of the earth that they forget what life is all about. And here, we're, how easy is this to do? Think about the disciples. We're always real quick to pick on these guys. They left everything to follow Christ, everything in order to follow Christ, but yet here they missed it. 
I think as Christians today, it is very easy for us to miss the will of the Father. We know Him. We have a desire to follow Him, but there's always that but. Isn't it always that but? I know Him. I love Him. I'm kind of excited about Him, but. And I would say, but what? Sometimes I made a list. We get busy and we forget our purpose. Now you think about this, no show of hands. Fathers that have raised children, think about this. I just said it, I confessed a while ago. I think I was so busy being a young dad that I wish I could go back and be a dad again. I mean, I was so busy supporting a family and raising a family. I was so busy going to college and seminary to be a pastor that sometimes I forgot what it meant to be a dad. Sometimes in the Christian life, we are so busy, we forget purpose. So think about this for a second. We were saved and redeemed and giving a new heart and a new life just so we could stay down here and be happy and be content and successful and have things. How ridiculous does that sound? We know that. So sometimes in busyness, the disciple, we get so busy, we forget the main purpose. The main purpose is the will of the Father. Sometimes, and this is danger with ministry, I experienced this a lot uh, in, in, in college and seminary. Sometimes we get so hung up on the future, we forget about the present. Well, one day when I slow down, I'm going to really serve the Lord. One day when I retire, I'm going to serve the Lord. One day when I do this, I heard this a lot in seminary. One day when I become a pastor, I'm going to really serve the Lord. Of course, you can imagine me. Sometimes I'm like, what's wrong with serving the Lord today? So we're going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord there. I'm going to serve the Lord today. When I retire, I'm going to begin to really serve the Lord. One day, when I retire and when I slow down, when I get through this season of my life, I'm going to begin to do that. No, you won't. If you're not doing it now, unless you radically change, you're not going to do it later. So why don't you change and do it now? We look at the future and we forget about the present. We focus on the physical instead of the spiritual. But I need this. I need that. I'm doing this. This is good things. Yes, it may be the good thing, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is the will of God. The future is important, but the present is about the will of God. Being busy is good, but the purpose is being in the will of God right now. It's always the good versus the best. Think about Martha and Mary. How many Marthas do we have around here? How many Marys do we have around here? You remember the story in Luke? Jesus is coming over to eat. Martha's in the, uh, in the, in the kitchen getting ready. Sometimes I call the beloved Martha. Honey, we've got guests here. You can get out of the kitchen. Come eat with us, okay? It's all right. Some of y'all little Marthas running around. What was Mary doing? At the feet of Jesus. What did Martha say? How about some help in here? We're not the same way. We're so busy doing life, we forget we need to be doing Jesus. And if we're doing Jesus, we're going to do life better than we ever could without Jesus. 
disciples had forgotten that. Let me ask you about your life now. Are you doing your will or when you think about this is what my life is about, is it about your will or is it about God's will? When, when you think about your will, it's things that you need to accomplish. When you think about God's will for a life of a believer, it's God's redemptive purpose. It's all about redemption. The will of God is about redemption. What is God's will in my life? I'm, I'm a, everything in God's will is about redemption. You knowing, you growing, you going, it's all about a redemptive purpose. Everything in God's will is about redemption. Disciples didn't get that. Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. But secondly, disciples, you need to do the will of the Father. Let me read real quick Romans 12. Turn if you will to Romans 12. We'll close with this passage. Romans 12. Very familiar. It's the most familiar sometimes we struggle with. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies. Present is something that we do. I'm living my life. My actions in my life, my attitude in my life, my desires in my life, I'm giving it, I'm presenting as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do you know what God wants? Our heart. Do you know what God wants? Our motive. Do you know what God wants? Our desires. He doesn't want hypocrisy. He doesn't want the external. He just wants our heart. When that woman came to Christ, God saw her heart. God forgot everything that she had ever done and who she was. And God saw her for her heart and what she wanted right then. That's all God wants. Yes, we can add things and checklists and things that we need to do and don't do. Scripture does a good job of that, of telling us what is right and wrong. But if we just come to God with our heart, everything else takes care of itself. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to present your life as a living sacrifice? Don't do what the world says to do and just live under what God asks us to do. That's, it's so simple. Don't be conformed. As we live in the world, we become like the world. Do you ever notice TV? This is a great example. you ever notice TV? You can watch TV at 8 o'clock on national TV right now. And you are seeing things that would have been on a rated R movie 15 years ago. What happened? We changed, didn't we? We allowed the, well, it's only, it's only three, it's a, it's a great movie. Now listen, pastor, you need to see this. I've been told this before. Pastor, you need to see this. It's just a little cussing, though. Could you imagine 20 years ago telling your pastor, great movie on Netflix. It's only GD a couple of times, though. And we watch it. It's a great movie. They only have sex out of marriage twice, though, but you've got to go see that. Who's changed? We have conformed to the world because we're not staying transformed by the Word. And so what happens is the moral majority begins to win. Well, let's see what the world wants. <laughs> we definitely don't want to offend anybody. So we'll do a poll. What does the world want? What do, could you imagine if I went around Avon Park? What does the world want in a church? Because we want you here. 
Could you imagine what church would look like if we did that? Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the transformation inside out. That by, by testing, by testing, you may discern the will of God. Okay, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice. I'm not going to be conformed, but I'm going to be transformed by the, by the word of God. And I'm going to test the world. We've got a lot of teachers here. Tests are great ways to figure out whether or not you believe something or not. I'm going to test the world. I'm testing, I'm discerning, I'm, I'm seeking what is right. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, there we go. Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. You need to go do the will of the Father. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test. Have you ever noticed how so many people make so many stupid decisions? You ever? And we always say, what were they thinking? They weren't. They were conformed to the world and they made their decision based on the word of the world instead of the word of God. And they made that decision and they bought into that lie and they stepped into that lie and they were completely conformed to the ways of the world. And what in the world were they thinking? We present, we trust, we love him. We're not going to be conformed so that we can discern his will. Then we go out, sowing and reaping. You know, we take mission trips. We do work. We, we live in a workplace. Uh, we're, we're living out the will of God in our lives, and we're sowing the gospel. We're reaping the gospel. We're sowing the gospel. We're, we're reaping the gospel. There's a, I, I tell this story often. There's a man that I was praying for and a man that I had been witnessing to, and he just would not come to Christ. I kept telling God, listen, he he's not, needs to be on my timetable. This man needs to come to know you. And he worked in a workplace, and a man came out of nowhere. He just came in in this workplace, and he, he laid an evangelistic track on the guy's desk. He worked in a public arena and he said, you need to give your life to Christ today so you can go to heaven when you die. And that, that man that came to know the Lord, Mark that came to know the Lord, immediately when that man laid that track in front of him, every sermon I'd preached to him, everything I'd said to him, every witness encounter that had been shared with him came to fruition that moment, and he opened up his heart and gave him the Christ when that man laid that track on his desk. And he'll tell you, I came to know the Lord right then. And I came forward that next Sunday and confessed Christ and followed through with baptism. I want to get to heaven and meet that man right after I get through talking to Martha and Mary. Well, the man that shared the gospel with Mark in Columbus, Indiana, please raise your hand. And I want to say thank you. Because I was reaping what others had been sowing. Isn't that incredible? Could you imagine? You don't, that man had no clue what he had done in that man's life. And you don't know the impact you're having on people around you when you are doing the will of God and you are sowing the gospel and reaping the gospel and sowing the gospel. It's not you that saved. It's not that man that saved. It wasn't me that saved. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. We are sowing and we are reaping. And I'll close with this.
the word of the well to the woman. Know Jesus and experience living water. The word of Jesus to the disciples. Know Jesus and know the will of the Father. The word of Jesus to the Samaritans that came to him. Know Jesus and experience the Lamb of God. Notice what they said there. They said, verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer I because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. The Samaritans came out to the well, and they said, we know that is indeed the Savior of the world. John 1, 29. John the Baptist himself, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did word share with the Samaritans? They knew Jesus, and they knew that they had experienced the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you, like the Samaritan woman, received forgiveness of your sin? of your separation from God just over who you are as a fallen man or woman in the world that we live in? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ changed you in such a way that you realize that life is about doing stuff, but the main stuff is about doing the will of the Father? Are you like the Samaritans that when you know Jesus Christ, you know that you have experienced and beheld the Lamb of God? When we meet the word at the well, our life should change. Come to the word this morning and experience that change. Let's stand as we pray and close in song. Lord, as you encounter that woman, it was your grace that was greater than her sin. And as we sing about that great grace today, my heart's desire is that we may know you and be excited about living for you and that we would be willing to go and to share the gospel of you. As we sing, Father, draw people to Christ. Lord, as we sing and as the gospel has been proclaimed, let people come to Christ. Let them receive your Son as their Savior. And this we humbly pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.